Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What is up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Friday, May the 18th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, players in contract years, who should get paid, and who will earn the big payday, plus... Just when was the best era to become a Miami Dolphins fan? And we jump into the Dolphins Twitter mailbag. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily written content needs. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins. And our first segment on the show today is talking about players that are entering contract years. And I think for the most part, we have an, a good idea of who the three main ones are, at least as Dolph fans. But I threw a fourth one in there that's kind of a free agent to be. Not really, but I'll go ahead and talk about him last. Let's go ahead and start with the first and most obvious one. Bobby McCain, the slot cornerback, was ninth in the NFL in passer rating allowed from the slot. A very tough position, probably only nine or ten of them in the league that are really any good. And that's because they have so many different techniques they have to put into practice on every single play, whether it's a two-way go or playing inside-outside against the whip jerk routes, all the stuff that those slot guys do that make them such a valuable commodity in today's pass-heavy offensive NFL game that they just, they really have the toughest job in the league. And McCain does a good job of playing the run well. He's a willing tackler. He'll fight through things physically. And he's such a good guy in terms of quick twitch, ball skill ability that he can make plays on the football had a couple of picks last year he can break up passes as well and he can turn his hips and run as well so he has so many good traits you look for in that position and that really fiery attitude and that alpha mentality that he brings he's one of the guys in the locker room they always talk about as being one of the big personalities one of the guys that always brings the juice and gets guys up and ready to go for practice for weights for film whatever it is and personally for me I would I would pay him after the June money arrives after Indomitian Sue's June one money gets here and we talked about the PFF. He was number nine in passer rating allowed from the slot. His grades weren't fantastic in 2017. His yards per route run weren't in the top 10. His touchdowns allowed was only one, which is good. And his uh, yards per coverage snap was not top 10 either. So his metrics weren't fantastic, but you just watch the way he played. There wasn't a lot of big plays that were gained against him. And that's why the passer rating was so low when you couple in the fact that he only allowed one touchdown and picked off two passes. A couple of big plays against him, that's going to happen to every single corner that has ever played football. But he got beat a couple of times, but for the most part was so, so solid in that slot. Has gotten better each of the three years. Has played more snaps each of the three years he's been in the league. So I would look for Bobby McCain to get a contract extension, hopefully before the new league year starts, or for the new season starts, I should say. The next player, and this is a guy that I think is probably the most ambivalent in terms of how Dolphins fans feel about what he should be in the future and his spot with the team. Jordan Phillips, defensive tackle. And you might say that he opened up some doors or that Adamican Sue's released opened up some doors for him, I should say, in the essence that he could get a new contract from the Dolphins and be the future number one defensive tackle on the roster, the guy that has the biggest payday, the guy that you expect to pay the most reps. 
But just watching how many bursts and short flashes he has, you see it. You see the talent and the skill level on the tape when he does that. He has series, and it reminds me of Vita Vea when I was scouting him at Washington. He'll have a series where there's three plays in a row where he wrecks the play, and then he comes out for the next two series, and he's just not even a factor in the game at all. So you have to find a way to either play him less and get that to be a more consistent basis in terms of when he's on the field making plays, or just find a way to get more out of him for those more snaps because he was supposed to play an elevated role last year. Now, obviously, Devon Godshaw's emergence made that a little bit easier of a transition for Phillips to stay in that same role. But it seems like for a guy like Jordan Phillips, a guy that, you know, I don't want to say he doesn't have work ethic to make the point that the reason why he's good on some plays and not good on others, but it just seems like he's the type of guy that a recipe for a very productive season would be a contract year and the situation that he's facing with a couple of young guys behind him only Akeem Spence the veteran in front of him were in the same holding in terms of the depth chart there so he has a chance to get himself a big contract and then Devontae Parker I guess two of my four guys aren't really free agents to be after the season we know that Devontae Parker got a fifth year contract extension or the fifth year option exercise as a first round draft pick back in 2015 and it just signals that the Dolphins basically want to buy more time on what their decision is with him. And you can totally see why. He's missed games in each of his three years as a pro. He's had the work habits and the dedication to the game stuff called into question. He's still a very, very young guy. All the Snapchat stuff, the SpongeBob things, the lip syncing with the music, whatever you want to blame Devontae Parker for. The fact is that he has so much raw talent and so much ability to make plays on the field. And he has flashed that big play ability, which is why he has a pretty solid fan base on Twitter based on what I've seen from a number of people that think he's the best receiver on this team still and it's the flash plays it's the picking the ball off the top of the defensive back's head making the big plays down the field he's got a couple of those in his back pocket and it springs hope but you just have to have more consistency and that's why you hope that someone like Danny Amendola coming into the building can have a solid impact on him Adam Gase said it Adam Gase said that Danny Amendola makes the 24 guys on the offensive roster around him better that sounds like coaches speak to me I mean I, I guess there's a place for veterans in this league to be kind of tutors onto the next stage in their career. But for the most part, I don't really buy the whole veteran leadership slash learn from me role because I think the guys don't generally want to teach a guy how to take their job. So while he's doing good things and he shows the guys how to work, it's going to be ultimately up to Devontae Parker to go ahead, adapt that mentality and that work ethic to become that kind of player. And then you have the guy that was my exception to the list. And it's because he has an opt-out clause after the end of the 2018 season for only a $1.1 million cap hit for the 2019 season. And that's Robert Quinn. And the reason you talk about him, it's just, man, with the health he has coming back, it seems like he could be healthy for the first time in a long time. Back in the defense that made him the most productive as he was in his career. Now, granted, please keep in mind that was five years ago back in 2013 when he had those 19 sacks and was nearly a defensive MVP of the year if it wasn't for J.J. Watt doing J.J. Watt things. But it seems like this is a great opportunity for Quinn to come in, get into great shape, cash in on one season, and strike a big deal in free agency. And the thing that worries me is that Mike Tannenbaum has such a penchant for paying guys that have come over on short or from other teams and not really being around them that much and giving them big contracts for no real apparent reason. We all obviously saw it with TJ McDonald. We saw it with Kiko Alonso. Andre Branch is another one. So it just seems like he could be the next one in that line. But with Cameron Waite kind of getting to the point of his career where it might be time to start thinking about replacements, even though we say that every single year, it seems for the past three or four years, at some point it's going to happen. You're going to have to replace him. And Charles Harris, as nice of a piece as he is, he's going to need a running mate on the other side. So I can see Robert Quinn possibly getting a new deal. And hopefully by 
guy keeping him around for two years that could extend him on that off of the 2018 season if he does have an explosive season and maybe save a little bit of money by doing that early. So we'll see what happens there. But of the four guys, I think the likelihood is that all four of them will get paid by someone. I just don't know by whom. And just going off of the current regime's pass, I'm going to say Robert Quinn gets one of the big contracts. It just feels right. Mike Tannenbaum, we talked about that. Wake going away soon. I think Bobby McCain gets done before the season even starts. At least I hope that's what happens. I think Parker will play himself out of a possible extension and that Miami has built a deep enough wide receiver room that they can go ahead and afford to do that and move on from him. And then Jordan Phillips, the trickiest one for me. You know, I talked about Ndamukong Sue's release opening the door for him, but I'm not going to forecast him making the most of that opportunity until I see him do it. And with Godshaw and Vincent Taylor in the fold, they have just as much opportunity to persuade the Dolphins against a long-term deal for Jordan Phillips as Jordan Phillips has the opportunity to pursue the Dolphins for a long-term deal for Jordan Phillips. So those are the four big ones that should be an exciting camp and an offseason and summer to see what happens with them as well as into the season. But we have more on this show. It is a Friday show. Happy weekend to all you guys. We've got a full Twitter mailbag to get to next on Locked On Dolphins podcast at Leafold NFL at Locked On Fins. Cranking it back up here on the Friday edition, the May 18th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast and time for one of my favorite segments that I do and it's because you guys write in such terrific questions for this segment. The Twitter mailbag, you guys know the drill. I put out the call on Twitter. You guys reply with the questions. I answer them on the air and give you a Twitter shout out as well. Let's go ahead and jump right in. The first question comes from Nicholas P. That's at Nick P. 1908. What scenarios, personnel slash scheme have to come together to keep Kiko off the field? <laughs> Addition by subtraction, he was an enormous liability last year. His contract assures him a spot on the team, not defensive reps. I tend to believe what... Adam Gay said in regards to kind of throwing the media under the bus in terms of finding ways to get Kiko Alonso to be an effective player. And I don't necessarily agree with it because I think that he doesn't have the traits that modern day linebackers and specifically the type of linebackers that it seems like Miami is trying to bring in here. And that is change of direction, speed, ability to play well in coverage, blitz the quarterback. And those are four things that he just does not do a very good job of. You, you see him attack downhill and trying to fill gaps and hit his run keys. He can get washed out very easily. He can get embarrassed in one-on-one coverage. So I, I think the personnel and scheme you want to find is the dime package where if you have a linebacker on the field, it's hopefully either Raekwon McMillan or Jerome Baker, or maybe even the seven defensive back package that we've seen the Patriots run in the past with four down linemen, seven DBs. And you can do that because you have Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald who can essentially act as pseudo linebackers in that position. So I'd say the dime package and the rare seven defensive back package coming onto the field. Next question comes from John O'Malley. That's at Johnny Yo 720 Assuming both guys have consistent, improved production this season, who would you feel more comfortable signing long-term, Jordan Phillips or Devontae Parker? I should probably screen these first before I get into the question. John, I already answered that question in the first part, but those two were the ones I was the most ambivalent on. But I'm going to go ahead and go with Jordan Phillips. I think we have a lot more depth at receiver. And just based on what Devontae Parker's been in the past, I don't think people change for the most part. So I'm going to go ahead and say that he just is, continues to be the same guy that he is. 
doesn't work hard enough, doesn't prioritize the game enough. And Jordan Phillips has been a better player than Devontae Parker has been. So I'll go with Phillips on that question. Next one comes from David Simpson at Sensi27. Who is the best sports writer for the Miami Dolphins? We know Omar Kelly is the worst because the sky is always falling for him. I don't have a problem if you are down on the Dolphins because the team hasn't been good and they haven't been good for a long time. They've been mediocre. They haven't been cellar dwellers. Now that's actually going to be our last segment on the podcast today, but it's just Omar Kelly's lack of knowledge of the game. When he thought that a three technique means that you play three gaps, when he thought that Legadunane and Corey Sheets were the all-star players of camp and going to go on to have a big career, his lack of knowledge of Ryan Tannehill and the quarterback position in general. But the biggest one for him is the Miko Grimes stuff. I mean, how you can align yourself with that type of crazy says that you're pretty crazy too. As far as the best sports writer, hands down for me, Joe Shad. He is the best writer. He's the nicest guy to talk to on Twitter. And he was kind enough to do my podcast last year so I can't really go against him at all so Joe Shadow the Palm Beach Post by far the best Dolphins beat writer besides yours truly of course Travis Wingfield Lockdown Dolphins next question comes from Claudio D. Blassie I'm I'm so sorry for getting that wrong I don't I have a hard time pronouncing names at clay underscore L underscore J. I agree with your pre-draft rankings of dolphins, tight ends and linebackers in the NFL. How would you change those after the draft? That's a great question. I actually haven't thought about that going back into it, but I think tight end was greatly improved. Just, and I, I, you know, I didn't love Mike Kaseki a ton before the draft, but it was one of those ones that probably should have seen. It probably should have been more obvious than I made it out to be, just because of the things that he does. You can project him directly into the Dolphins' offense, and you know exactly what he's going to do. So I'm really looking forward to watching him play that wide ISO position, get a lot of targets down in the red zone. So I'm going to say that jumps up. I, I don't have off the top of my head, Claudio, on how to project that, but I would say they're definitely not the last place one anymore. As far as linebackers, we're going to have to see if Raekwon McMillan's healthy because without him, we're back at square one from last year. I just don't trust Kiko Alonso to be a 1,000 snap guy anymore. So I will say that one maybe went up a little bit, but it just has to show it on the field before I give it too much credit. Next question comes from Angel Contreras at A underscore Contreras 80. Eight. Which position camp battle are you most excited to watch? As far as starters, because I've gone over this a little bit with the depth and how much of a battle there's going to be at the depth position, but as far as starters, it's tough to say because I think a lot of people assume that Ted Larson is the right guard and Jesse Davis, to me, is a clearly better player. So I would say that one if Jesse Davis is not the clear-cut starter. But as far as ones that I believe to be more of the case, I'm going to say Jerome Baker and Kiko Alonso, mainly because I want to see the rookie play well enough to win that job to get the second most snaps at linebacker. So I'll say Baker and Alonso at linebacker. Next question comes from Gordy Kerr at Gordy KR. What's the missing piece in this team's jigsaw and which player for the team's past would you use to fill that missing piece? This is a great question I saw posed on the fourth and inches podcast. The, uh, I guess Miami Dolphins podcast, more about jokes and, and really good humor that I heard them talk about last week with Sutton and Hotes of the Finsider. But anyway, this question was posed to them, and I'm going to go ahead and answer it for you guys. I, I selected Ricky Williams because I think Ricky Williams in his prime was the best to ever do it, and I get a lot of crap for saying that. You know, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, whatever. But no one caught and ran and had speed and power like Ricky Williams did. And just an inherent ability to shake off tackles, run through guys, run around them. He was an absolute freak. That 
153-yard season he had was so much fun to watch as a 16-year-old Dolphins fan that I was. So I think if you put him in this offense with Ryan Tannehill and you go maybe more 12 personnel and a heavy run play-action-based offense based on what both those guys can do, zone read, play-action, naked boo, easy reads for the quarterback, big runs for the running back, I would say Ricky Williams would make this offense just really take off to a whole new level. Next question comes from Gabriel Newland. That's at Gabe PLS. Do you believe that Adam Gaze getting the guys he wants personality and fit-wise will be better for the team in winning games than it was just loading up on talent like they did the last four years? 100%. No question about it. I I wrote an article back in February about what my vision would be for what the Dolphins would do this offseason. And for the most part, they executed that almost to a T. So I'm happy personally because I, I have to be. I said that they should do this. They did it. And now I'm happy about it. And I'm not one that believes that losing Mike Pouncey is going to hurt the team at all. He, I guarantee Mike Pouncey is not playing 16 games this year. And the fact that he had he did last year was only because he didn't practice, which you saw it show up on Sunday. So not worried about him going away nearly as much as the national media is. Jarvis Landry, I, overrated player. I'll say it again and time and time again. He was a very good player, but he was nowhere near a top 10 receiver that folks made him out to be. So losing him, I think... I've said this on the podcast, the Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, and I guess Danny Amendola, more so the first two guys will easily replace his production on fewer targets. So I love that. And like you said, just having the general cohesiveness, it goes back to the idea that it's not the best 53, it's the right 53. And if Adam Gaze loves it, if he loves his staff and he loves how they're going to put together game plans, then I love it too because I trust Adam Gaze and I always, always have. Last question here comes from J.D. Young. He's at my fryhole, still my favorite Twitter handle that I think writes into the podcast whenever I do these. Realistic over-unders for Drake on yards, carries, touchdowns, and catches. Oh boy, uh, that's a on-the-spot question. And one that you really kind of have to get into the weeds on because Adam Gaze has talked in the past about how he wants a bell cow guy that basically doesn't leave the field, but he's also talked about how he wants guys that are interchangeable that can do all the same things as the other backs. I think we're going to find ourselves somewhere in the middle of that. By the end of the season, it might be a lot more Kalen Balage than Frank Gore, but I think early on it's going to be Kenyon Drake with a little bit of side piece of Frank Gore. So I'll say that out of you always project 1,000 snaps for a team that's about the average and it's obviously the roundest number to go off of but if it's, if we're playing a thousand snaps I'll say Kenyon Drake is out there for 600 maybe 650 of them and so let's say he carries the ball on a third of those gives him oh we'll say 225 carries I think he's such an explosive player with such big yards or big runs potential that he's going to have a good yards per carry average. So let's go ahead and give him a 4.5 yards per carry average, which would, one sec, typing out on the calculator, would give him 1,013 yards. So I'll give him 225 carries, 1,013 yards. And I think this team is going to pass for a lot more touchdowns than it runs. So I will give him five running touchdowns and probably a couple more in the receiving game. So I expect a big year from an efficiency standpoint from Kenyon Drake, but I don't expect him to have that big fantasy gaudy year like a Todd Gurley did that really makes you say, wow, that guy's the best player in the league. So that's the Twitter mailbag. Thank you guys for doing that. We've got one more segment here on the podcast to get to. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked on Fins. We've got one more segment before I send you guys out of here for the weekend on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And I was just kind of thinking to myself the other day about when would be the best era to be a Dolphins fan or to be a football fan in general. And I'll give you my spiel here a little bit. And it's probably going to make some of you guys throw your hands up in the air. But just thinking about some of the kids that were they were kids of the 70s, got to grow up with a legacy and the, the championship pedigree, two Super Bowl championships, Don Shula's, you know, becoming the Dolphins 
legend that he is. And then you got to transform into Dan Marino in the 80s and go through that whole thing. You got to see so much winning that I feel like that's where a lot of the vitriol comes from now from the older fans that are so sick of seeing this team popping up into the playoffs every eight years. And I understand that. But you might say that the worst time to be a Dolphins fan or worst age is someone that is 30, my age, and they have it worse. But this is why I don't feel like we do. First thing, and this has nothing to do with being a Dolphins fan, just the time and era that we are in, we get the perfect balance, people that are my age, of recognition of the old school, like the late 90s, early 2000s, which to me was the golden era of football for someone of my age. But we also understand the new school age of like the technology, the fact that we have all 22 and Sunday ticket. My job wouldn't exist if there wasn't for all 22 and Sunday ticket, man. I remember only getting to watch, you know, four or five Dolphins games a year, and that's basically because they were one of the teams that got the most primetime games, so thankfully they were always on Monday Night Football, but since 2004, when I got the ticket, I haven't even missed a game, and I left mid-game for a couple of them in the 2015 season, I think the Colts game, the Ravens game, that week three game against the Bills, they beat us by a million points. I just I was so disconnected from the team that year because I was so sick of Joe Philbin and doing the same thing over and over again that I just didn't need to sit there and watch a six and nine football team or whatever it was the certain various points of the season play just crap football. I'd come back and watch them later. But I think growing up with a little bit of winning, you know, in the early nineties, mid nineties, through the nineties, early two thousands as well, and then suffering through so much mediocrity, and let's like I said earlier in the podcast, let's make that point abundantly clear. We've been mediocre. We haven't been a tire fire like some of these other franchises like the Buffalo Bills or the Cleveland Browns or what the Rams, Raiders, and Jags were for so long before their very recent success. It gave me this appreciation for winning, and when they finally do hoist the Lombardi, I tell you, it's going to be just an amazing, amazing time for a fan when we've gone through all of this together. So that's why my argument is that Someone of my age has it best as a football fan. We have the old school in our memories, but also have a good understanding of what the future has been for us with Sunday Ticket and all the like. All right, guys, that's going to do it for the podcast for the week. We've got all kinds of written content up on LockedOnDolphins.com for you guys right now. The Ryan Tannehill Project is in full force, and I have officially powered through the first five games, meaning I got the Cincinnati and Tennessee games out of the way, and I've got all the good ones on deck, so I cannot wait to get those done but that will do it for the podcast for today and for the week be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple podcast leave us a rating leave us a review check out the other locked on sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams follow me on twitter at lethal nfl follow the show at locked on fans follow our flagship show at locked on nfl both on twitter and facebook check out LockedOnDolphins.com. you guys have a terrific rest of your weekend we'll be back on monday with another edition of locked on dolphins podcast your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.